Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homie. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision once again to tune in and invest in yourself today. Here I am in Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm sitting on my purple couch in my sumptuous apartment here in the hottest city in America. The Business Creators Radio Show takes you to those places where you have those mastermind meetings. You have those aha moments that can change your trajectory or at least bring you a little bit closer to your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. As you find yourself exploring more and more what you're about to hear today, just know that there are opportunities to get answers to all of your questions and to hold those as they will appear to you. With that, I am excited to introduce who we have on today. This is somebody I've been looking forward to having on the show for about six weeks now. Uh, He's a very busy man. Uh, I'm a busy man. And uh, one of the beautiful parts of podcasting is it gives you those opportunities to connect that you might otherwise miss. He is a guy who exemplifies everything that we share when it comes to the idea of being a business creator, uh, understanding the environment, being able to gather and process feedback from the experience as you stand up and do it. And he's a guy who sells custom socks, among other things. So this is going to be about growing a custom socks business with a focus on the client experience. And basically what you're going to discover is his story about how focusing on his client experience kept his fu- or keeps his funnel packed and his business rocking. He was recommended to us by one of our other guests, and I love building those connections. So let me just tell you a little bit about, just a little bit about Samuel Moses. He has a keen eye for the small details and big picture approach to business. He's sought out often for advice on various business topics, such as business strategy, team leadership, business communication, marketing, and organizational culture. I think in the past week, I've seen him on three other podcasts. So he is a major get for us. Sam, come on in. The weather's fine. Thanks for having me. And uh, I appreciate the introduction. Uh, and it's so impressive what you do. I'm not even sure I'm worthy to be in the in the same place as you and that this is my show. So what I want to do first off before we get into some of the experiences that you've had and how this impacts your ability to share that message with others is let's pull back the curtain. I told the official story about you, but tell us a bit in your own words about your journey and what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Sure. So I had a retail store, a very high-end retail store in downtown Toronto, and we were servicing down there uh, within menswear, a very specific demographic. It's kind of like the financial district of Toronto. Yeah. Um, and I was, and I had that store for about 12 years. Um, in the first, in the early years, I would notice that the demographic that we were servicing was such a specific demographic, you know, generally executives, 
uh, and generally higher income um, and generally male. And I said to myself, you know, we're doing a really good job with that demographic and we're servicing them with these very high-end Italian neckwear products, shirts, neckwears, pocket squares, these type of uh, menswear products. Um, but I see, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people walking by every day who also have a job. Uh, why can't I service them? And why is my store not being able to access them? So right. from there, I went into this uh, path of bringing in Happy Socks, which at the time in 2012, 2013, was a very popular product. And we noticed right away that when we brought that product in, we were just killing it with the socks, you know, in stock socks. You know, everybody else was selling the same product, but we had such a good location and our service in the store was so great. So we were able to access an entirely new clientele that we never had access to. You know, fast forward a few years, I got married. My wife takes one look at this business and sees the traffic and how many happy socks we were selling. I think at that time, we were the number one happy socks uh, seller maybe in Canada at that time. It was unbelievable. This small little store was blowing through a lot of product. And she says, you have to do this on your own. You have to create your own sock brand. So we went to China. We upped the quality, I like to think, uh, to make a very, very high quality sock. And we branded it Socrates. And the and the, and the name Socrates is kind of like a play on the philosopher Socrates. And, it, and, and the original thought was, what does the sock say about you? You're wearing a polka dot. You're wearing a stripe. You're wearing a, a argyle. What does that say about you? Why did you buy that? And why these colors, you know? Um, and then we brought it into the store and we noticed that the customer didn't flinch. They love the sock. They love the brand. We started to open pop-up stores all over the country. Uh, we started to really get into other stores. We got into Saks and Nordstrom and we got into TJ Maxx. Yeah. We were selling Socrates all over. At that point, I noticed that executives were coming into my store again, you know, back to these executives, marketing executives, HR executives, event people. And they were saying, who makes these socks? And, and at that time, it wasn't Happy Socks. It was us under the Socrates label. Uh, so we said, yeah, we make these socks. And they said, I'm going to a trade show. Can you make a thousand of these things? For me, with my logo, you know, Dell, Google, you know, small accounting firms, uh, law firms, oh. these type of people. And so what we did was we started to hire designers and we started to design the socks for them um, with the same retail-minded focus. So it's a retail product. The Dell socks looked like a sock you would buy in a store. So a fashionable sock with the logo of the company branded with a label. So it was kind of like a something that you would buy in a store, but it's a giveaway product for the B2B client that we had. And this business started to pick up. Um, we started to get lots of people coming into the store, B2B sales. And what I loved about it, unlike retail, was you get to sell the product first and then you get to make the product, which is kind of a nice flip on retail where you have to buy the product and then sell it. And we started to really, really develop a process for that. A few years later, uh, doing this out of the store, we had a flood in the store, which closed us down for a, a year. And it was really... Uh, it was really an amazing thing because we had a full year to take the team who would usually be in retail um, and move them onto the custom sock business where we built a website, started to do digital marketing. Um, and today we service clients all over the world, hundreds and hundreds of orders a month, you know, multi-million dollar company um, with lots of clients again, all over the world and a team of 15 in-house um, so, and we've completely shifted out of retail. So that's our story, how we went from the retail business to the B2B uh, gifting business. It's a gifting business. 
and um, how we went from servicing B2C clients to B2B clients. And our experience in B2C really taught us a lot about uh, what we could expect in B2B uh, from a service perspective. And then that's how we built the company. Um, and, and I can get into that, but you know the differences between B2C and B2B aren't much because at the end of the day, you're selling to people and people respond to certain things regardless if it's the company cutting the check or if it's their own wallet, right? Oh, well, ultimately, yes. And, you know, first thing that came to mind when I heard about you and also in what you've just shared with us right now is, candidly, there are a lot of people out there selling socks. I personally, uh, there's a mastermind I belong to for 15 years now, and three of the current or former members have sock businesses of their own. Uh, one is based on athletic teams. Another is based on the cannabis industry. So they're designs with uh, marijuana leaves on them and things like that. So, uh, and I know that they're like, every time I turn around, there's another outlet, there's another business, there's another entrepreneur who's selling socks. So you have had a level of success. And what I see is being a fairly saturated industry that is something to behold. What do you attribute that to? So definitely. So socks is a big world. And everybody I, everybody I speak to about what I do, the first thing they do is to tell me, oh, you got to sell here, you got to sell here. Um, we were really good at sticking to our niche, the niche of custom socks for companies. Uh, so we don't do anything on Amazon. We don't sell to stores. We, it's really a gifting item. And when we started the business five years ago, there were around three players in the industry all fighting for the business. Now there's up to about 20 uh, players in the industry. So you're going to say, how do you compete within those 20? And that's a good question. The number one way that we compete and the one thing that makes us really different than our competition is the seven-day turnaround time. When I first started the business, the industry standard was around 30 to 40 days to get your order. Uh -huh. I said, no, 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 no. We can't wait 40 days. And I know in my life, I've already forgotten about things by the time 40 days has passed. So I want oh my oh my god yeah <laughs> yeah I mean 40 days is an eternity so I wanted to get the socks in the customer's hand in seven days and we did that uh in a small family-run factory in Italy where we're able to get things moving very quickly and the second thing we did was the unlimited color pantone matching so a lot of sock players who are doing things a little faster not necessarily seven days but say 15 what they do is they say here is like 50 colors to choose from choose your colors. What we do is we say we can choose any color uh, because, you know, at the end of the day, when Coca-Cola comes, we're not going to be able to convince Coca-Cola to change that red. So we're going to have to match it. Um, and the secret to that is in our factory, we have a yarn factory, the largest in Europe, right across the street. So we're able to access thousands and thousands of Pantone colors. So the the the, the two, the two uh, punch there, right? So the seven-day turnaround time, the unlimited colors made in Italy, to your door, you know, that's kind of what makes us stand out. But I think what what really makes us stand out above all that is our 100% focused on the client journey, making sure we take away during the design process and during the process of the ordering process, we take away all of the friction that, that exists in ordering custom socks. And there's lots of friction. Um, and we do a really good job internally um, to the client to make sure that all of that friction is taken away and the ordering process is remarkably easy. Um, most of the orders that we get afterwards, the client actually feeds back to us. They were expecting kind of like a longer process, more you know decision points that they would have to make, a little bit more 
friction along the way. We take that all away. We make it simple. When you make things simple for the customer, you know, when you eliminate pain from them, that it makes it easy for them. And then I think we've really grown this company on that kind of uh, mantra of make it easy for the customer and the customer will, you know, kind of like execute and come back. Right. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned the, the Pantone colors, uh, which is a very important thing. And I know that uh, with our, with our, members of our Launcher Podcast Fast program, a couple of them have interests in creating merchandise based on the brand of the podcast. And working with our designer, we often need to make subtle adjustments to the colors that we're going to use for their website portal because they have plans to print things and they want the print and the website, obviously, to be a spot-on match. So sometimes we have to make those compromises and do a slightly different shade of something for the website so that it's going to match the printed materials. And I actually knew the reason why. It's because a lot of print shops only give you a range of Pantone colors. And there's yeah. actually somewhere out actually somewhere out there, there's a chart of what the standard Pantone colors used by uh, physical printing industry is. So chances are, 9 out of 10, it's going to be one of these. And you mentioned 50. Uh, the number's either 50 or 60. But yeah, there is a standard that most shops only use from this particular chart that was developed by some association or something. But what I see you saying here is you can literally do anything because you have right across the street from your production facility, you can get the yarn done however they want it done. They have unlimited capability to mix and match any set of colors. Yes, we're getting all the colors because we're stocking thousands of thousands of colors in the factory over there. So no matter what color is brought, you know, if it's the McDonald's yellow or the, you know, Dr. Purple Pe the Dr. Pepper purple, whatever it is, uh, we're able to match it exactly. And that's kind of like some of our secret sauce to success, getting the colors correct and at the same time getting it into your hands in 7 days. So that's that's our that's our basic recipe to success. Right. In online marketing, I remember seeing this test done a number of times. You mentioned Coca-Cola and in the long form sales letters that we recall from days of yore, uh, yeah. you'd have this you have this long narrative sales letter. And at the very top, there'd be a big headline. It was in red. And one of the experiments I saw done again and again and again was to use the Coca-Cola red. Because because a lot of a lot of uh, sales letter designers would just use the standard red, which I think is something like uh, if we're talking about hex codes, I think it's zero. It's like something like zero 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 FF or something. And there was a school of thought to use CC zero 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 zero, which yeah. is a bit of a darker, richer red. Coca Cola's is F four zero 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 nine, which I've memorized by the way. And I would say about sixty to seventy percent of the tests when they did AB on the color of the headline, showed that using the Coca-Cola colors uh, resulted in a slight increase in conversions. And what I can attribute that to is when you see that Coca-Cola red, does it make you thirsty? Exactly. Yeah. Even, even, even if you weren't thirsty and you see a bunch of Coca-Colas lined up, and even if you think, oh, man, soft drinks, they're a bunch of dreck, and I'm just drinking sugar, but ah, what the hell, I'm going to have one. Yeah, because it's that I, color, I it's that color that draws you in. Says, "Yeah, I'll have a Coke." Yeah, I think in business school we used to call that the share of mind. Like when you yes. see or hear something. Like when I say the word Disney, there's something that you feel because you grew up with Disney and you under, you know, you watch the movies as a kid and you remember watching it with your family. And so they have share of mind and share of mind. 
um, in this case, Coca-Cola with that red, that's kind of like share of mind slash sight, right? Um, it makes you feel something and that and that familiarity is worth a lot of money. It's actually the best type of advertising is share of mind, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and what I'm finding here is already in your story and uh, we're you know, basically a third of our way through our conversation here is I hear a time and time again, attention to small details and making things available for the consumer and the customer experience that are outside your industry standards. That's what I keep hearing. Am I accurate on that? Yeah, that's for sure. It's all of those little details that when you add up those little details, they start to become very important um, when they're combined. Sometimes, you know, my staff is like, oh, but that's such a marginal difference. Um, Why does it matter so much? But, you know, when you take that and you add it to an already great system, then they start to stack on top of each other and they start, start to become very valuable. For example, you know, when we first started, everybody was just charging for the sock, for the label, for shipping. Um, and it doesn't seem like such a problem. Okay. The sock is X and the labels Y and the shipping is Z, you know, and add it all together and you have your price. And what I said was, I don't want any of that. I want the customer to just have one price. Let, let us worry about the shipping and the label and the, and the duties and all that stuff. We just want one price in their hands. Now it doesn't seem like a big difference, but when you're dealing with a customer, hundreds of customers a month, it just makes everything way easier for them, way easier for you. There's no hidden prices. The price is the price, and there's nothing they can do to get it higher. Um, and they like that. They just like that the sock is arriving in their hands for you know twelve dollars a pair, and not yeah. well, it's eleven dollars, but then the label's a dollar seventy five, and the shipping, depending on where you're from, is fifty uh-huh. cents. And then oh, but a rush fee. Oh, but then there's this fee, and then there's um, you know, there's the breathing fee, and you know, it just becomes too much. So one price in your hands. We took all of that away in the very early days, and we had tons of customers just telling us. A lot of our competitors kind of copied that now, but we had tons of competitors just telling us. By the way, the reason I went with you, I just like that it's just one price, and when I go to your website, it's there. I don't have to work hard for the price, you know. So that's yeah. that was a big thing. That's kind of like a B to C lesson. And applying it to B2B, right? Because B2C, you kind of have to show your price in the store, right? Mm-hmm. And that's it. The guy gets to walk out the door with that price. And B2B, they, you know, tends to make pricing a little bit more complicated. So we took a B2C model of simple pricing, attached it to B2B. And again, it's people, right? At the end of the day, and they responded and they were very happy about it. You know, uh, this is actually a lesson I learned gear. Uh, I would say almost 15 years ago, actually, uh, with one of my early clients who's still with us, by the way, uh, from another era in my business, they stay with me no matter how many different businesses I get into. They're always Amazing. with us. And they, and they usually end up investing whatever the new thing is I'm doing, which is really cool. Um, I mean, Amazing. they became they became one of my podcast clients, and uh, theirs is one of the most successful podcasts we've ever launched. So uh, so there's, there's that. Now, uh, they were doing physical fulfillment on their information products, of which they had a wide range. And they were going by the real-time shipping tables, and it was yielding things. For example, uh, they were selling a $9.97 DVD. And if you used the real-time shipping, if you wanted that overnighted to you, it could end up uh, having a shipping and handling fee of $78. And we were getting price resistance based on the fact that they wanted it the next day. However, if they simply waited two days, that went down to uh, an additional $9. But then that raised the question of, 
why am I paying $9 to have a $9.97 DVD shipped to me in the first place? So, so what we were losing out on were entry-level purchasers and the opportunity to transform them into people who would have a pattern of giving my client money, which, as you know, as a marketer, increases the chances they're going to come back and give you more money. You tend to work with the organization you've already dealt with. Uh, so... What we ultimately decided to do with the Fulfillment House was to just simply get rid of all that, um, yeah. have everything be on a three to five day basis and just have them give us standard numbers for uh, what the average to ship each item would be and uh, just change it to all in pricing, which meant, for example, the 397 home study course became a 497 home study course. But you know what? Uh, and we, we also took away the opportunity to have it overnighted and everybody get, got it in three to five business days. And you know what? Their numbers actually went up. They yep. actually ended up selling more. It's a simple fact that we just took off the table the idea you get it overnighted. Yeah. Uh, it just, now you know it's this price. There's no questions when you go to the shopping cart. Sales letter says $497. When you click on that add the cart button, $497 will be added to your cart. Nothing extra. So there's yeah. that. And you also know that you're getting this thing in three to five business days or you call us up and we get on our ass to get it over to you. Yeah, no, that's so, great. I mean, so it just so it just eliminates all that because the confused mind does not make decisions. No, it's and it's crazy that your product actually was selling and what was creating the barrier was the shipping. You never want the shipping yeah. to be the barrier to sell the product. Right. So. Um, yeah, you alleviated that. You made it an all-in price. Customer knows I get it in my hands for four ninety-seven, and customer can make a decision on the four ninety-seven versus getting stalled on the ninety-seven dollars, but only and paying the three ninety-seven. In the end, the price is the same, but it's just something about the customer decision making is a lot easier. It's easier for them, and it's more easier to swallow, right? Like you know, the, yeah. the shipping is just too high relative to the cost of the good, uh, so they were getting upset there, right? Right, right. And, and like with payment plans on things, for example, uh, recently I invested in a um, in a $2,000 uh, continuing education program. Now, I didn't have all the cash on hand to drop $2,000. I mean, I had it, but I didn't want to be without it. So right. so they had a payment plan. It was six payments of 367 or something. And I don't have the math in front of me, but the total cost to me of that was something like 2300 bucks. Well, you know what? The way I looked at it is, if you use a credit card and you take three months to pay it off, you know you're paying a little extra. When you bought your house, you know that you're gonna pay you're gonna pay extra because you did a mortgage rather than just pay cash. Same with a car, same with your student loan. Although yeah. uh, that's a whole separate debate as to how much interest you should yeah. pay on that. But uh, I mean, I mean, I borrowed uh, between undergrad and my MBA. I borrowed fifty three thousand dollars. I've already paid back seventy five thousand dollars, and I still have fourteen thousand to go. Uh, wow. I mean, that's a different story, but, uh, but all the same, it's, and, and, and that's, I think why people were upset about, uh, the gouging of student loans and why they call it gouging. I mean, because you entered into this and if I had known up front that, uh, okay, I'm, I borrowed 5,200, I'm going to take 25 years to pay this off. By the time I'm done, I'll paid about 68,000. Okay, fine. But yeah. it just keeps going. And go. Yeah, I mean the and American, and that's uh, why people are pissed off about it, in my opinion. Yeah, the American banking system has done a great job of just turning things into small payments, right? Like you look yeah. at the mortgage payment of a thirty-year mortgage, and I tell people if they can, just don't do the thirty-year mortgage. It's a terrible, yeah. um, because when you look at the interest that you're paying, 
Um, I don't have all the numbers in front of me. Definitely at 7%, 8% these days. You're, I mean, you have to buy your house twice over 30 years. Now, yeah. it's easy to say, right? It's easy to say, um, take a 15-year mortgage, but some sacrifices probably have to be made. If you're taking a 15-year mortgage, either you pay more per month or you have to reduce the purchase price of your house. But the 30-year mortgage is definitely created by banks to convince people that um, they're able to afford something that maybe they can afford, but they're going to pay a lot of money over 30 years to afford it. Like, you know, yeah. you buy a million dollar house and at the end of 30 years, you've given them 1.85 in small payments over 30 years. That's a lot of extra payments you made. Oh yeah. Because they were nice enough to loan you the money and put a mortgage on your house. Right. Yeah. 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 I myself never owned a house. I've always lived in apartments. And uh, yeah. and yes, I hear the story. Well, we're renting. You're not building any capital value. No. Uh, okay, yeah, I get that. But, you know, uh, for me right now, I have two cardinal values when it comes to my lifestyle. If I want to yeah. pick up and leave, I pick up and leave. So I'm not stuck with anything. And the no, other is, and the other is, an apartment is basically no maintenance. Uh, yeah. I mean, my, 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 it's like I've had it happen three times, three different places I've lived where the water heater blew out. And in all three yep. cases, I had barely set down set down my phone from calling the management office to tell them about my water heater that they had already gone to the place where they keep their spares and were willing the next one in. So yeah. I didn't have yeah, to deal with that. Most of, my, most of my finance professors in business school were of the opinion that a house, your personal house is not really uh, an investment vehicle um, and the return on it is actually quite poor. Um, but for most people who don't have the discipline of saving, who don't have that you know, ability to put money away and invest and all these things. It's kind of like a forced saving accounts for most people. Yeah. Um, so for some people, it works for, if you know what you're doing and you're, and you're savvy about it, um, you know, owning a house is not really the the best vehicle, but it's, it, I guess it's a vehicle. You got to choose something. Right. right? right. Ex exactly. So coming back to your business, and I have several questions about it, just based on what you've already told me. Um, do you have a lot of physical plants or uh, do you have more of an outsourcing model? Because I know some of our listeners have an interest in getting involved in creating products like this, whether it's socks or whether it's uh, giveaways or whether it's T-shirts. And uh, they're curious about the best way to do it. So we have an exclusivity with a factory small run uh, mid-sized factory in Italy. Okay. And so they only run our socks. Now that takes time to get to. At first they were running many different um, uh, provider socks, supplier socks, but they, they've they transitioned to us just given the volumes. So at this point, if you would walk into the factory, there would be 50, 60 machines that 24 hours a day run our products. Uh -huh. um, so, you know, we're, we kind of work with them like uh, very directly. Um, they trust us that we're going to send the orders and not go to another factory. And we trust them that uh, they're going to take care of our orders and the quality of the sock is going to be consistent every time that we've set up from day one and that we've obviously tweaked a little bit. But, you know, you know, sock 100,000 comes out the same as sock 10. Right. So that's what we care about. Um, yeah. But we have a very good relationship when we go. It's almost like family. Uh, but at the end of the day, they are independent of us. But we we do we, we do have a exclusivity where they work on our deals and all the machines are allocated to us. So it's kind of like the best of both worlds, I like to think. I'm, I'm, I don't want to spend my time managing a factory right now. I want to spend my time bringing in more business, marketing efforts, you know, building a team, you know, working on my design team, you know, working on my end of the business and then knowing that they have that end of the business. I don't think at this point it would be smart for me to start figuring out how to manufacture a sock. Right. You know, and stand by the machine right now. So 
they kind of take care of that. I take care of my end. Um, and then the socks are drop shipped all over the world. Um, our clients are UK, Germany, Israel, Canada, US, Belgium, these kind of countries, Australia. And, and the socks are picked up by UPS and delivered within two to three business days to the destination. So most socks I don't see, uh, but we, we do have a obviously a quality control process for before it ships, I see the first sample. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, it's a little bit of um, it's a little bit of a um, a risk on that factory's part to go exclusive with you. Uh, so, I mean, there's obviously and, you know, I don't know how much detail you can tell me about this, but a lot of assurance on their end that they need to have to know that your company's there for the long haul. You're not going to be going around shopping for somebody else. And there's a confidence that Socrates is a strong brand that's going to be there for a long time because if you go under, you take them right with you. That's for sure. That's for sure. And they have a lot of employees themselves. And I do take that very seriously when I go and I meet with the factory and I meet with the employees. Um, the first thing that they're communicating to us is how much they appreciate us, but also how much they rely on us. And, you know, one lady at the factory said, I never owned a car. And, you know, since Socrates started to feed in such great business, and since we've been able to grow this business, uh, meeting the factory that she was able to buy a car, you know, certain things like that. Um, so I take it very seriously. You know, the the lives of people are, are at stake and those lives are important. And we're doing, we're working really, really hard to send as much business as we can. And the only way we can do that is to take care of our client first. If we take care of our client first, the client will take care of us and we can take care of it, all the players, you know, the employees and the, the factory and the label provider and the shipping provider, UPS gets taken care of, everybody's getting taken care of, yeah. but it all starts with the client experience, making sure that the client is happy uh, because at the end of the day, the client, you know, Sam Walton's famous line, right? The client can, the client, the customer can, can fire uh, anybody from the CEO down, right? Because they just don't shop at your business. So we have to take care of the customer first. We take care of them, and then the the rest of the chain will be a healthy chain. Exactly, exactly. So uh, this leads to the next thing, and I, I want to get your insights on this as a leader, as an as an executive, for the guarantees you are making to your clients. You're going to have a seven day turnaround on something that uh, a lot of your competitors can barely do in a month, and to be able to offer features a lot of your competitors can't. That takes a lot of dedication and alignment in terms of the team at Socrates to make this happen. So what would you say are your, shall we say, secrets to success in having an engaged workforce that, because I can only imagine how many disasters and how many fires you have to put out to make sure that happens based on what I just said. Definitely. So it's a two-part answer. One is like you just touched on the the dedication of the team. So all of the team members in our team have to be working within the system that we've set up and you can't deviate from that system because the system is set up to produce these socks and to deliver uh, over the seven days. So if anybody goes off script, it causes a lot of disruption in our system and then a lot of orders become problems. So everybody has to buy into our system. Everybody has to be trained really well in our system. And, and at the end of the day, everybody has to believe in the system because you know, our project managers who are taking the orders, they're going to take a lot of heat if uh, these orders don't come out in seven days because they're taking people's money. You know, they're taking client you know money and they're promising seven days. And if on day seven, it's not there, then the client's going to be emailing us very upset. So 
Yeah. The first part is making sure that the entire team um, kind of like believes in what we're doing and has a lot of faith in the system and sticks to it. That's that's a very important thing, sticking to it, making sure that they're trained. Number two is we have to build out that system. And our system relies on not only the seven-day process, which is kind of like a you know high-level process, but it also relies on these, you know, a lot of technology behind it. Uh, where we're able to have a lot of automation. The customer gets an email from UPS the minute it's picked up. Um, the orders, the way that they're they're sent into the factory is very automated. The way that we program the socks has um, an automation to it to make sure that it's being done. You know, when you're doing hundreds and hundreds of orders, everything looks easy at 10 orders a month. But when you start to get to four or 500 orders a month, any oversight is disastrous. And that oversight is a client who paid quite a bit of money for something. So we have to make sure that all of our systems from a tech perspective are all set up properly, running properly, and are very efficient, you know, from invoicing to checking the colors, to checking the design, to making sure that they're shipping on time, to the labels being done correctly, to the right labels going on the right socks, um, to the shipping. Some people need us to ship to multiple locations. You know, we got, you know, hundreds of orders leaving every every week from our from our factory so, you know, the level of coordination has to be very high. And there's a lot of automation in our system. Um, you know, some people say, oh, that sounds like a easy business. It's actually quite a difficult business. Everything looks easy when it's, you know, leaving a factory and, and, and you know, the UPS is picking it up. But it was very hard to get it to that point. Uh, so there's a lot of automation. And then that combined with the team buy-in, um, I would say are the two secrets, secrets to success. Um, and then the question is, how do you get the team buy-in? You know, I bring a lot of passion to this and our number two in the company, her name is Becky. She's the head of the design team. She brings a lot of passion and that's how we started this business, me and her. Um, and everybody kind of feeds off that. And 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 it's a, it's a great business. People love it. Um, and I think what they love is that when we say something to the customer, we actually come through and that's a good feeling. And the customer respects that. And if we can't do something, then we tell them we can't do it. For example, there's a printed sock. We do woven socks. If there's a printed sock and they say seven days, you know, I can't do uh, printed sock in seven days. I can do it in 15 days, but I'm not going to tell somebody that I can do it in seven days and then have conflicts later. So we just tell everybody up front what we can and cannot do. And if we can do it and we say we can do it, the most important thing is that we stick to it and that we do it. And if errors happen after that or mistakes or problems, we own up to it and we take accountability for it. So that's kind of like the culture and the company. And that's, I would say to your, to answer your question, the two things that have to happen to be able to do these this level of orders um, efficiently and correctly. Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, and I found with a lot of things, it really just comes down to alignment and buy-in. And you told a story a little bit earlier about how uh, one of the people who works at the factory was able to say, you know, now that we have your business, I've been able to get all this other stuff for myself. So you're changing lives at the same time that you are producing socks. Yes, yes. I, it's kind of cheesy, but I tell my wife like that. She tells one time she told one of my kids, you know, I'm in the uh, custom sock business. And I'm actually, so I always correct her and I say, I'm not in the custom socks business. I'm in the changing lives business. That's what we're in the business of. But it's kind of a little cheesy, but I truly believe that. You know, when when you hire people and when you work with people and you give out business to people, everybody's life is being enhanced and everybody loves work to do. Nobody likes to go to work and there's nothing to do. So when there's lots of work to do, it enhances people. One of our project managers, you know, we just had a call and she just said, I was in a job and 
it was a toxic environment and there was such a dated system. And, and she told me how much she loves working for Socrates. She's been with us for six months and her life has changed the way that she enjoys her week. Now, you know, think about it. People work 40 hours a week, you know, that doesn't leave much time to do anything else. Uh-huh. So her 40 hours a week is, is being enhanced. You know, when you, when you multiply that over, hopefully she'll be with us for years and years that's all of a sudden a much different life than she would have thought of before she came to us. So, yeah, I mean, you have to take that into account. It's not just a sock the same way. It's not just a t-shirt or it's not just anything that you're selling. It's really a life. And and there's a lot of people who benefit from a better life. And not to mention, I do believe that these socks, you know, when they go to the customer that they're making them just a little bit happier because it's fun. You know, they give them out, they get a lot of great feedback from their clients. It's a great tool to use to promote their brand. So there's no, you know, there's no conflict with it. There's no, you know, everything we do, you know, we do it in a kosher way kind of thing. So um, I, I think that's a good, good feeling when we go home at night to know that uh, we're doing things with honesty, but we're also making a product that's a fun product um, and enhancing people's day. Well, yeah. And for people who have uh, some level of either fashion consciousness or brand consciousness or want to use their fashion to express a message, uh, I mean, socks is a way to do that. I mean, I, uh, I, I have a, I have a friend. Uh, she has an entire dresser, not a drawer, a dresser. That's just all the socks she owns. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I always, I always am amazed um, because I do this every day. How passionate people get about their socks. I remember I gave somebody um, a pair of socks, and like to this day, years later, they're like, Sam, it's my favorite pair. I keep them so carefully. Um, it's in my top drawer. You know, I wear it to all my special events. And I'm like, wow, this sock actually made a difference in their life somehow. They're happier and uh, they like wearing it. And at the end of the day, when you wake up in the morning and you put on something you like, that is a good feeling. So um, it is a good product like that. And that's why the sock works because they put it on, they like it, and then they think of your company. And that's all a promotional item is supposed to do make them think about your company and be something that they'll actually wear. You can't just, you know, throw their logo all over the place because nobody's going to wear that. But if you make it in a fashionable way, this is something that they'll wear as part of their wardrobe. And that's that's really good shit. Like we spoke earlier, share of mind because they're wearing they're wearing your product on the feet, right? So you do have yeah. at that point a little bit of share of mind there. Exactly. So, I mean, I, I just, uh, I mean, I just, and what I can feel through our conversation here is just your, your passion for, for this. And I think that that has a lot to do. Um, you know, uh, Larry Winget, who's a friend of mine, uh, actually disputes the idea that passion is important of, I can't remember his exact phrase about it, but I've been to several of his seminars and he's gone off about the people who claim follow your passion that, uh, that's, Actually, I, I mean, if he, if you know, if Larry's listening, he wants to modify this for me. I'll certainly be open to it because it's his phrase. But you know, I, and I also hear from people um, who maybe are less famous who say, "Well, what does passion have to do with it? It's about how right. you get paid. Get money, and you'll get passionate." Well, I'm here to tell you that uh, I've been paid uh, a lot of money to do things I hated, and uh, my memory is not of all the money I made, but how happy I was when I got out of it. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big sports fan, I, and I think about what you just said a lot. Is it the passion that is that's important, or just at the end of the day, the results? I know for me, I have to be passionate about something to do it. Otherwise, I just you know I lose interest. I don't do it as well. I take shortcuts. Um, so I just you know I'm not passionate about cooking, so I'm not a good cook. I mean, if I was passionate about cooking, I probably would be a better cook, right? So yeah. and I think I think about sports. You know, 
you're going to have trouble convincing me that, you know, the greats of the game, like Jordan or Kobe, you know, they had other, obviously they have other things besides passion, a lot of other skills, but passion might've been the driver there. Right. So that's what made them so great. I mean, you're going to have trouble convincing me that, you know, Kobe didn't have passion for basketball and he just happened to work on himself so much and be great at it. I think the passion is probably what drove it, you know? So when I think about sports, I find that that probably gives me the answer to that question. And I know it's a hot topic now. Does passion actually matter when building a business? Um, My opinion is um, on that, that it does, you know, and I think that it does. I think it's harder to build a business that you're not passionate about, bottom line. Uh, Maybe you can do it. I personally can't, but maybe you can do it. But you're just going to have an easier road if you actually have a lot of passion and care about what you're doing. Yeah, place I used to live had uh, really major hard water problems. I mean, it was to the point where I would not drink I would not drink water out of the faucet. I would not use it for cooking, and uh, I would not put that water in my cat's bowl. Uh, wow. wow! But uh, and uh, and it was so bad that it would cause the toilets to not flush properly because of how much buildup it would get. So I developed a surefire can't miss works every time method of decalcifying a toilet in 20 minutes i mean uh, you 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 uh, give me your toilet for 20 minutes i will have that thing flushing like you just brought it home from deep from home depot mounted to the floor and plugged in the hose wow but i don't but i but i don't want to do that no i hate i hate doing it Uh, so there's something where i have a level of brilliance but there's no passion behind that uh it's just a skill that i'm glad to have in case uh in case i find myself in hard water situations and whether it's uh and 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 actually i adapted the same process because another place i lived had a hard water problem but where really seemed to affect things was it kept fogging up the filters on the faucets so i adapted that process in 10 minutes i could make those i can make those faucets flow again like they i just brought them home from D, home depot mounted the sink and plugged in the pipe wow that's unbelievable but i don't want to do it i i don't even want to do it for myself so yeah right. brilliance i can make a ton of money with it because i could be a miracle worker but i just don't want to right so you just don't have that drive that drive yeah. not there um you know you got to you're going to you're just not going to do it at the end of the day you're going to do things you're passionate about cuz there's enough stuff that you're passionate about i can tell by speaking to you for even half an hour that you're yeah. going to you're you're going to drift towards those over things that you're not passionate about even if you know that the things that you're not passionate about you could be successful in you know yeah so uh so samuel you know you know i'm in the podcast business cuz you and i briefly discussed this a few weeks ago um and uh and so uh, I had somebody come to me who's been a client and a friend of mine since, well, before the flood, basically. And uh, and she said, you know, I, I really need the website for my company redone. And I mean, I wish you would do it for me. Uh, you're the only person I trust to do it right. Can, can you make an exception for me? Uh, I, it's like, I, I hate doing the websites. So right. She said, come on, please. For me, your old buddy, I said, have you ever thought about becoming a podcaster? And she said, eh, well, I said, okay, well, you become a podcaster, you'll get a website as part of Launch Your Podcast Fast. And so, right. and so she became a podcaster. Oh, wow. That see, was a good uh, way to... That see, was a good uh, way to... See, here, see, here's the point. This is where I melted brilliance and, and passion. Um, I don't want to get into websites. Like, I don't even want to do it for cash flow purposes. They launch your podcast fast system and process 
includes giving the client a dedicated website for the podcast using a process, using a customized version of a WordPress theme that we developed that enables it to do all kinds of things regarding uh, search engine marketing, syndication, um, how we repurpose content, being able to segment sec segments of your podcast and other content you want to meld into the site uh, that we have uh, carefully developed over years of experience and practice. So if you want a website, you got to become a podcaster. You want to work with me. And uh, that's a hook, and it's worked. This, I like that. Not, she's, I like not, she's, that. Not, she's not the only example. Yeah, it's called a it's called a great offer, right? It's a yeah. it's an offer that they can't turn down because they're like, there's too much value there for them to say no. And uh -huh. it's almost a no. You know those offers where they're so good, where if you say no, you kind of feel like you feel dumb saying no. That's one of those type of offers. Okay, I get a yeah. podcast. I get a website. I wanted a website. Now I'm getting a podcast and a website. This sounds like a no brainer to me. So it's done. You know. Yeah, there's also you know a few features with our process that uh, not everybody wants. So, uh, and they say, well, oh, I don't want that. You don't have to do it. And, I, and my answer is, you paid for it. You're getting it. Uh, if you don't want to use it right away, we'll just leave those pages in pending review. And uh, you call us up six months later and say, I want to do that now. Uh, we'll log in. It'll take us five minutes to publish the pages down to the menu. It's already done. Right, right. Very good. Yeah. So, um I mean, with uh, I mean, with the sock business now, I've uh, had an opportunity to check out your website. And what I, you know, speaking of websites, and what I like about it is how it doesn't really take me on a lot of wild goose chases. I can no. essentially use your site's menu to determine, like, uh, you have the different styles you use. So already, I could be thinking about, let's say I wanted to, uh, let's say I wanted to create. Uh, some socks for a convention I was going to that had 3,000 people, and I was investing in a booth uh, to promote the uh, Launch Your Podcast Fast system. Well, I could uh, I could get me some organic cotton socks because I like organic. Uh, and what I also like here is like they have compression socks, for example. So let's say that it was a healthcare related event, and uh, there was a uh, there was a track there for providers who treated things like diabetes and circulation issues. Well, compression socks would be a pretty popular giveaway. No, definitely. Yeah. yeah. We try to make the site as easy as possible. The one thing we're trying to communicate very clearly on the site, um, especially the homepage, uh, because if anybody's going through the site, then we can get into more detail. But the homepage, the entire focus of the homepage is to really just to communicate to the customer that this is easy. This is not a hard process. We will take this on and we make it very easy on you. There's only a few things you have to do. A, reach out. B, send us your logo and colors. And C, choose the one that you want. And then seven days later, the, the last thing you have to do is go to your mailbox because that's all. Yeah, and you know, it's cool here is you mentioned Coca-Cola. Oh, and you also mentioned Pepsi. So you had Coke and Pepsi? So we do. I mean, we work wow. with clients all over the world. Yeah. Yeah. So we definitely we work with both Coca-Cola and Pepsi. I mean, you know, we work with lots of companies. A lot of the companies that we work with, nobody's ever even heard of, but they're great brands, great companies. A lot of companies in the tech space. Um, but, you know, it's obviously a very uh, nice thing to put the bigger companies on the, on the, on the website and they're trusted by. I think that's commonly done at this point. Well, I just brought that up so our listeners can see what level you play at first off. And uh, and also that it's really cool that you have resources available for um, emerging players in the market as well. You don't just deal with these major players. But I also just wanted to uh, say you're the first person. And, and I've run into people who've worked with Coca-Cola. I've worked into people who run with Pepsi. You're the first I've had uh, who's actually had both be your clients. 
Oh no! Oh yeah, I guess you're right. I guess. Yeah. I guess at the as a kid, you know, you're always told you're either a Coke guy or you're a Pepsi guy. Which machine do you go to? Um, but in this case, I guess both clients need custom socks. You know, we don't sign exclusivities within you know the non competes or anything like that in the sock game. So yeah, I guess we're in a unique position where we can service both of those companies um, and and lots of competitors who compete against each other, but. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, it's a custom made sock to their business. So it's all different, right? It's a different product. Yeah. Um, some companies like grips, some companies like athletic, some companies like compression, um, a lot of companies like dress. So it all depends what you want and the style, no two styles are the same. So it's really, you're getting a unique product at the end of the day. So it gives us the ability to service, uh, lots of different companies, regardless of, of how they compete in their markets. Yeah. I have, uh, in my client family, I have four different clients who all are in the uh write your book business so um you know we have uh, dan janelle with write your book in a flash we have uh jim palmer with uh the success advantage publishing company uh and we have a we have a couple others who specifically focus um in the uh realm of fiction and novel writing one of which is uh lana mcarran uh with her program and uh victoria anderson with the leap into your story curriculum so there's four right there who uh to a certain degree all collaborate uh, well they compete with each other but they also have some collaborations among themselves partially due to me uh so i view myself as partially a connector but as far as the non-compete i did have another client in another industry who uh wanted to tell me that uh, i had to uh refuse anybody else in in their industry who wanted to work with me and i said no it doesn't quite work that way because you don't have the seven digits of money to just give me to refuse that business right yeah <laughs> i mean it, 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 i i right. everybody, just that way so that people can understand in. everybody's welcome to send in lots and lots of business and then talk about non-competes but you know most of the time you know everybody's doing reasonable business so we have to be able to take business from everywhere you know oh yeah yeah and i, and I, and I wanted to highlight that just as something to add into the conversation because uh you know a lot of you know a lot of our listeners are interested in niching their businesses and they uh, deal with the issue of, well, there are already a lot of players in my market. Well, the fact is, if there are a lot of players in your market, that's really a reason to get in. There wouldn't be that many players if there wasn't a lot of demand. That's what I mean. A, a market with a lot of players usually means there's money to be made in the market. So you just have to figure out how to differentiate yourself in that market and, and you can go compete and do well. My first question to a new client who wants to do something or to an existing client who wants to go somewhere is who else is doing it? Right. And if and, and if the answer is nobody, that actually will give me more reasons to tell them that maybe they shouldn't than if they told me they had 20 competitors and they would be coming in as the underdog. Well, right. the, fa- well the fact well, the fact is sometimes the underdog has the biggest bite because people are looking for something different, something fresh and new. Uh, we also know that uh, if you want to design a niche product, Go to the reviews of your competitors. Look at the negative reviews. The, gee, this I wish you would also reviews. And that's the gap in the market that you can fill. Actually, that's a great idea. That's, I haven't heard that one before. That's good. Go to your competitors or potential competitors. See you know, the negative reviews. Try to find a trend in the negative reviews and see if you can fill that hole in the market that they're just not, you know, they're not filling. Or even if somebody says, I wish you, you know, you do great in X. I wish you also did why, you know, maybe consider why, you know. Yeah. 
That's great. Hang on one second, Sam. For some reason, I can't hear you. Hold on. Yeah, we was a little choppy there at certain times. Okay. All right. So, yeah. So, basically, um, what happens is uh, the internet doesn't always like me. So, right. uh, that was only about a 15-second blip, so we're not going to worry about it. But uh, but uh, even though I didn't hear it, uh, I imagine Zoom picked it up. So, it's two separate things. So, we're good. And, uh, and so, I just wanted to highlight that as well. So, I guess, you know, one of my... Uh, final questions to you and i'm asking you this both as um, a leader in the stock industry and also just in general an entrepreneur is aside from what we've discussed what would you recommend to somebody who is looking at a market that is saturated or at least commoditized like the stock market is often perceived to be and uh if you were to give somebody advice on why despite all that competition and despite the barriers to entry they should absolutely do it anyway. Well, I think the number one thing you have to try to figure out when you're entering any market is how you can differentiate yourself. Or is there enough business to do what everybody else is doing and just get your little piece of the pie, right? But if you're trying to make an impact or a splash, how can you differentiate yourself? And if you can differentiate yourself, you know, how quickly can you do that? And and what's the what kind of like, what are the barriers to be able to do that? Um, and then my second piece of, of advice is always, you know, to start slow, not to extend yourself too much, you know, dip your toe in, try to get a feel for the market. You know, if you want to go into the wallets business, don't produce, you know, 20,000 wallets, maybe produce 75 or 100. See, you know, if you could sell that um, and then go a little bigger, you know, don't commit to two big runs of inventory um, when you just are getting started. Um, you know, in the necktie business, when we first started the store, I had so much inventory in that store just to open the door. And that's the kind of like the, the kind of like the way retail works, right? You got to fill the store. Mm -hmm. Store can't look empty. Um, but in the online game, you can have maybe less SKUs and go a little deeper in the SKU and try to sell that. Um, so definitely two, two pieces of advice. How do you differentiate yourself in, in, a, in a crowded market to get attention? And B, if you can differentiate yourself, Try not to expose yourself too much. You always got to figure, you know, somebody once told me any decision you make in business, you could be 50% right or 50% wrong. Make sure that if you're wrong, you don't wipe yourself out because the goal of business is to stay in the game. And the, what, what it means to stay in the game is to be doing business every single day, right? So if you take yourself out of the game um, based on a choice that you made um, that wiped you out, uh, that's obviously no good. That's the worst thing that can happen. Yeah, ex ex exactly. So I know somebody, uh, I don't want to say who they are, but uh, they're actually uh, a fairly popular persona. And they wanted to have a bobblehead of themselves created to put on their desk. And so they contacted a, uh, a promotional items fulfillment company to ask them about, uh, could they just make one bobblehead of them and send it to them? And they said, no, our minimum is 100. So what this person did is they ordered 100 bobbleheads and then put the bobbleheads on their website as an item for sale. And uh, it took them almost a year to sell the 100 bobbleheads. Yeah. So in a yeah. way, they were put into a test because they wanted that bobblehead for their desk so bad. They really, really wanted to sit at their desk and see a bobblehead themselves just for their own reasons. Could I make a lot of money selling bobbleheads of me? And it turned out that there was a small segment in their audience that needed a year to make up its mind that, yeah, they would like a bobblehead too. So they didn't place a second order, but they found themselves in a position where they got to test it. Now, imagine if they had uh, 
it said to their announcement that hey i i bought a bobblehead because i wanted it for myself and they made me order 100 so i've got 99 more bottle bobbleheads go to my website right now if they'd have sold them all out the same day well you can imagine they probably would have gone into the bobblehead business yeah but imagine their minimum was 10,000 and now they're sitting on 10,000 and in one year they went through 100 uh, they would have been very stressed out so the 100 relatively reasonable um, but at least they they kind of like maximize their downside. Uh, sorry, minimize their downside by only taking a hundred. But yeah, no, you're, I hear what you're saying though. That you have to basically test the market first, make sure there's a market for it, and then go. You know. Yeah, there was a three year period in my life, Sam, when I didn't know what I wanted to be in when I grew up. I'd already been an entrepreneur for over ten years. I'd been in three different businesses, and ways were actually successors to each other. And I reached this point in 2016, which was actually one of the best years of my business, where I looked into the future and all I saw was a blank screen. I wasn't particularly loving my business, although I had great clients and I liked the work I did for them. I didn't know what I wanted to be, what I wanted to do, what I wanted to brand, and this went on for three years. Wow. What I had in the meantime was the Business Creators Radio Show, the show we're on right now. So even though I didn't really have a website to market, I didn't have a specific service that I was looking to sell more of or a product, I had this. And what this gave me was 52 new conversations because it's a weekly show. And if we get a whole lot of guests, because we take almost anybody who wants to be on as long as they have a message, uh, it could be like 75 because sometimes we double up. And wow. uh, that was... Minimum, 52 new conversations every year, 52 new opportunities to make deals, attract a client to do some work I might enjoy doing, to actually test being in a different business. So there were a few cases where, and I don't really talk about these, I took on projects that were very lucrative and uh, to some of them were a lot of fun and some of them weren't. Uh, I did really good work with all of them, but they weren't things I really wanted to go on the marketplace with. There weren't, really weren't things I saw myself doing a lot of. So I have this podcast and I still do that sometimes. I still take on things that are outside the brand uh, that are lucrative to me that I want to explore. And I do a real good job with them because I'm using it as an opportunity to test, is this somewhere near my intersection of my brilliance and passion? But that three-year journey, what it ultimately brought me to was podcasting itself. Great. That's great. And then, and, and, and then right after that, if you know the chronology, the bug hit, and uh, and so I developed the podcast reach system based on some of our previous work with launching podcasts. And uh, that's most of what I do. And now we're expanding into services for existing podcasters, which is something that I had actually resisted for some time because I really wanted to be in, on the launch side of it because that's really, really where I get geeked out. But I found uh, a lot of love in podcast production, which originally I was resistant to. Now, part of it is the fact that there is a lot of money there. That business is growing very, very fast since we officially got into it. But the other thing is by developing my own process for doing it and training two other people in it who are aligned with it and being able to present this to clients as an effective way of doing it where they don't have to think about it. So if they want to fuss with little details, my question is, what do you really want to do? And their answer is always the same thing. I just want to interview guests and speak with people. Right. And so I say, so what do you really care about some of these other fine points as long as all your episodes are published on time? What, I mean, what, I mean if, you're, if you're recording the episodes and handing them over and everything else is getting done for you and it turns out good, what does it matter to you uh, what step three of seven is? No, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's all, so, at that point, it's automated, right? 
Right, right. It, it, it's automated to them. They don't have to think about it anymore. I mean, the best testimonial we have for that is uh, from actually uh, my friend Dan Janelle, who says, I record the episodes, I hand them over, and then I forget about them. They just all they just all automatically appear on time. Yeah, no, great. That's the best. The best thing that you can hear is somebody saying they take care of everything and I don't have to think about it. That's the best. They just yep. want to do their interview, hand it over to you, let your system work, and then they see the results when it's published. Yep. So even though I haven't become a customer of yours yet, I can give you um, a testimonial based on uh, what you've told me and what I've uh, what I've seen of you on a couple other shows you've been on recently. And just, uh, you know, looking around the marketplace, seeing what Socrates is doing is I know that if I ever need to order some socks, uh, whether I go to a trade show or I decide to or I decide I want one pair of of in-demand expert socks for myself, but I got to order a hundred. So I'll try and sell the other 99. Yeah. That right. sort of thing. Right. I know, thing. I know that if I contact Sam Moses and Socrates and I order whatever, you know, whatever size order we have to order to get this done, that I'm going to place the order and uh, I can set my clock to how soon I'm going to get them. And That's I don't it. have to think about it beyond yeah. that. That's it. One time I got a call, the gentleman was like, it was Monday. And he's like, can you get the, me these stocks by Friday? Because we we do have a process in place to ship even faster. Yeah. And and I uh, I got it to him on Thursday. And he was like, um, oh, my God. Like, I was actually just looking. I was actually going to say it was a miracle if it showed up on Friday. But the fact that it showed up on Thursday is just unbelievable. So, you know, we just want to always be, you know, keeping the expectations clear and and meeting them or, or beating them. And that's it. You know, and what you said is correct. If you order from us, then... Uh, the socks are going to show up and you're going to be happy and the colors are going to be matched and the design is going to be the design that you wanted. Um, and it's going to be designed properly. Um, the same way in your business, when, you know, if I need to create a podcast and all I want to do is interview guests, I know that, you know, on the back end, you're taking care of me, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So I just want to make sure everybody has your website. It is uh, uh, it is uh, SocratesCustom.com. And there's a cute spelling to it, which I think some of our listeners have already guessed. S-O-C-K-R-A-T-E-S custom.com. So think of the philosopher Socrates and add a K to it. SocratesCustom.com. And you'll be able to see this wonderful website. And uh, and and uh, full disclosure, I'm not getting a dime for this. I'm just uh, celebrating a friend. Uh, if you... Uh, if you uh, approach Socrates and say you heard about this on the Business Creators Radio Show, I would just be tickled pink, and it would make probably the rest of my day and a good part of tomorrow afternoon. So SocratesCustom.com. With that, Samuel Moses, thank you so much for being with us today. It has been an honor, and believe me, an education. Thanks for having me. It was great, and uh, look forward to hearing more of your episodes. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.